Welcome back, friends, to the Preacher's Kitchen podcast. Uh, we took a week off, gone for a minute, but we're back. <laughs> so we're going to do uh, something special today. We are going to try to uh, compress uh, two messages into one podcast. So grab your seat. Uh, tighten your seatbelt. We'll be here for the next three hours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> As always, joined by my good friends, uh, Edward Paz and Christopher Stites. And uh, Pastor Ed preached both messages over the last two weeks. Uh, the first message that we want to uh, touch on today was the one from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Yeah. Isaiah 40, uh, talking about waiting on the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually, I, I don't know for you, you, Chris, I actually had never heard the way that we're supposed to wait on the Lord and what it meant, the Ray Ortland quote. And we'll get to that in a second. But uh, Pastor Edward, how did you land in Isaiah 40? What were the points that were made? Uh, and as you guys know, if you're listening and maybe you don't, it's your first time. Uh, this first segment is creatively entitled, What Did You Cook? And we're trying to get into the head of the preacher to understand uh, what were the ingredients that went into the message? How do they land on that message? And what were they hope? What were they hoping happened uh, at the end of the message? And so, to start, Pastor Edward, how did you how did you land on what you were going to cook two weeks ago? Yeah, I think the the way I would answer this question for last week's message would be the same way I would answer the question for this week's message. And I think um, sometimes preachers preach out of um, you know, leading with what they believe the congregation needs to hear or what God is leading the preacher to preach to the congregation. And then I think other times, uh, like the last two weeks, I have been preaching out of uh, more of a personal need and more of a personal, Mm -hmm. what does my soul need? What does my heart need? And if my soul needs it, you know, is a good chance that the church might need it too. And so I just found myself a couple weeks ago um, and, and even till now, to some degree, just feeling uh, a sense of hopelessness. You know, we, we set up the message talking about the hopelessness of, of whether or not non-black people will ever understand what black people feel, if black people will ever understand what non-black people feel during this um, cultural moment. Um, hopelessness around, you know, here in California, there's just been an uptick as it relates to coronavirus cases. And so, um, and then that's just the stuff in the world, let alone the personal things going on in our lives where there could be feelings of hopelessness. So um, knowing that that's where I was at, assuming that that's where people were at, um, the Lord had put the word uh, pretty early, just in terms of for my own hopelessness, wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength familiar with that verse, but never knew that that verse was was tied to hope as much as it was. I entitled the message a message of hope before I knew that the word that God had given me in regards to waiting was really directly tied to hope. And so... So, um, so you're sitting there, you know, feeling hopeless, and the Holy Spirit just brings this verse to mind that has been, because I remember you said it, and then me and Lene were sitting there, uh, we were on vacation, uh, and we were sitting there, and we were like trying to think of the verse, because he said, there's this verse that I've always known, but I haven't studied, we're trying to like, it's Hebrews, blah, 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 it's blah, 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 and so I was like, what's the verse going to be? So the Holy Spirit just basically brings that word to your mind for an encouragement for you personally, and then you go, I need to study this and share it with folks. I need to study it and share it. And so, 
And then it's interesting, you know, sometimes the approach of, of messages is different. And so this one was like, I first came with after, you know, a lengthy me, keep in mind, this message was an hour and five minutes last week. And I think I spent 20 minutes, you know, just setting it all up. But, um, looking at the different verses and I thought it was powerful. It'd be interesting what you guys thought where hopelessness is clearly expressed by folks in the Bible, you know, um, the Job quote, the Lamentations quote, you know, Psalms, Psalms. Yes. Psalms was, Psalms was in the connecting, the hoping and waiting. But that first portion was like this idea that hopelessness is okay. It's Mm -hmm. a human emotion we don't have to hide it from God, nor do we have to hide it from others. So that was the first. Yeah, hopelessness is an emotion we can express to God that we don't have to hide from God. And yeah. not only is it, I think you said, at that Lamentations verse is crazy. My endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. To be, I think you're trying to get at the undergirding of that point, is to be honest and vulnerable and transparent before the God, because you can't, you can't get to hope if you don't confess your hopelessness. Yeah, and I think... Uh, with Christianity, sometimes there could be this flowery approach where there's a Bible verse to rescue you from that so quickly, as opposed to, look, there are Bible verses clearly saying this is a good place to start, or this is an okay, this is where you're at, you know. Yeah. So that was that. I want to go quickly through this. And then I, I just felt like as I was looking for the passages that expressed hopelessness, I saw how the various passages that expressed hopelessness included waiting. Hmm. So then I was like, oh, oh my gosh, this, this one that I'm about to share is connected to this idea of hope. And so it was just kind of all unraveling. And so then you, you have several passages which make a clear connection. It seems like biblically there's something connected with waiting and hoping. Old Testament and New Testament, the Romans passage had, you know, uh, wait, wait, wait several times, um, but my hope is in the Lord. And then the the passage in Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, uh, mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And then even looking at that word wait, sometimes it's translated, they that hope in the Lord mm-hmm. will renew their strength. And then the final piece to that, I mean, because it's, it's kind of like, okay, who are we waiting on? That was the one question, and so we talk about the God who we're waiting on, and that's the context of chapter 40. Then we look at what happens when we wait. Basically, we, we get renewed and we get endurance, but then I think how we wait was kind of maybe the new piece. What is the posture of waiting and the posture of waiting is is not just sitting back twiddling your thumbs, but it's leaning forward in anticipation um, for what God is going to do. Expectation, um, you know, expecting a resurrection, mm-hmm. and then um, you know, then I kind of closed it with looking at uh, the ladies who discovered Jesus not there, and them forgetting that Jesus had told them, this is what I was going to do. So it, it was a lot. There was a lot on my heart. Uh, so I guess I would just ask you guys, because because it was kind of all over the place. I mean, there was a logical flow, but there was a lot there. Uh, what was the biggest takeaway for you from, from last week? Go ahead, Chris. 
it's not fair. <laughs> I'll go first then. I got stuff to say. Um, no, I think that uh, hope is an assurity. It's something that, you know, in, in uh, the world we live in today, we say, well, we hope that's going to go well. And there's an uncertainty in, in the hope that we express as humans and one to another. But the hope you're talking about, biblical hope, can't be changed, can't can't be touched. It is, it is what God says. Like God said that Jesus was going to resurrect. Jesus said that Jesus was going to resurrect and he resurrected. And so it is, uh, we are not looking with, uh, anxiousness, but with expectation for what God is going to do. And it, for me, it really was a a perspective switcher. Even being on vacation, I told you I'm sitting there, how it's personal for me. Um, you know, each day just trying to get myself to rest and wondering if things are going to be okay. And at the end of the message, I just remember leaving and thinking to myself, I can hope in the Lord. The Lord is going to do something good. I don't know what he's going to do, but my hope in him will not be in vain. He's going to come through. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to finish the work that he started in me. Hello, Philippians. We'll get there in just a second. Um, and, and all these other promises that I feel like he's spoken into my life or that I've seen into the word, uh, I don't have to wonder if those things are going to come to pass. In fact, if I'm going to do biblical hope right, I'm looking for them to come to pass because they are going to come to pass. So yeah. that's for me. Yeah. It's a good sermon. <laughs> you come might on. Just preach it. <laughs> hey, hold on, Chris. I actually got something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, really, uh, it, it, I really liked the perspective you gave on putting weight. Where are you going to put your weight on? What are you yeah. putting your weight on? Um, you said waiting becomes difficult when we don't put enough weight on the character of God. Mm-hmm. And that, that hit me because, you know, I, I looked at my own life. <laughs> I was like, man, when I heard you were going to preach this, I was like, I'm, my soul needs that. Like, yeah. and that's why I think it's, I think, yeah, there's different ways of coming to sermons. But for me, I'm probably like you, I can't figure out any other thing to preach in that moment besides what I need, like right there. You know, it's really hard to when you're in that much of a different state. But that is a big deal because the things that we've been dealing about are weighty and we've had to put weight on them in a lot more than usual. And so in my mind, trying to justify, we're talking about I mean, COVID and loss and, and anxiety and uncertainty and things changing and then the, the, the things about racial injustice. And so that's such a weighty thing to deal with that it, it's a good cause. And you said that twice, last week and this week about causes and not being God. I think it's, it's coming out in a good way because so many people... We, I wanted to put my weight on that. I want to be a good steward of this moment. I want to lean in with my friends and, and community to, to make sure I'm doing right with this by God. But then I, I lost sight of God in the midst of doing mm-hmm. things for God. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because you're doing things for God and even godly ways, but my, but my hope wasn't there because I lost sight of the perspective that God has got this whole thing. I got lost in the, in the cause and the issue. That's a pull, but you, you used to have this saying, I forget around, but how ministry can become your God, like your fruit of your ministry. And and so even not connected to what you're talking about that Sunday, but I remember it was like two years ago. Oh, gosh, I don't remember the same. Do you know what, know what I'm talking about? Not off the top. Tom, no. Yeah, I don't know. It was something good though about like even the, how good of a thing ministry is. Sure. Just doing ministry, but how ministry can become an idol. Yeah. You know, yeah. even Greg the Greg Rochelle, things. the way he says it, he goes, uh, the work I was doing for God was ruining the work of God in me. That's crazy. You know, and um, mm. I, I think another way I think of this, it, it's like it's the posture in which you go about pursuing your passion. You know, so the passion of the causes, but the posture isn't one of which uh, I'm still putting most of the weight on who God is 
and who he said he was and who he's going to be. And we get wrapped up just in the cause. And, um, it's, and we put the weight, we put the weight primarily on how high the mountain of this cause is on how deep these, uh, issues of systemic injustice are, and as deep as they go, and as long of a battle as this is, and as much work as there is to do, is the weight on my heart primarily that, or in the beauty and glory and majesty of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And I think when the weight is on that, then we can wait on him. Because why? how would we have any problems waiting on such a God who was so weighty? He's so weighty, but when these other things are weighty, then then it needs to get solved faster, and there's you know all of that. So I praise God. I praise God that. Uh, but it's crazy, God. I mean, even after preaching that, I wasn't, I wasn't cured. You yeah. know, yep. like I, I, and I posted several times on the social group. You know, like just to keep the message going. Let's expect a resurrection. What do you? But I'm preaching to myself you know mm. and so um as we transition now to to this week um you know definitely hope is is that anticipation and that expectation of what god is going to do in the future and then then joy now we're talking about a gladness now we're talking about you know i, I picture when you say joy it's like a smile you know there's a mm. smile to this hoping and then I'm just so familiar um, with the fact that Philippians has been known as the uh, epistle of joy. Uh, my buddy Eddie Williams over at Bay City, uh, they have, uh, they've been going through Philippians over the last several weeks, and they've entitled it Joy in the Midst of Crisis or Joy in Crisis. Mm. And so in terms of landing on the book of Philippians, and honestly, actually, you guys will, this will be, I literally Googled... <laughs> back to Google. There it is. Uh, four chapter books of the Bible. Wow. Four chapter books of the Bible. Were you not even looking for joy at that time? Well, <laughs> I, 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 I had... was looking to get through the run. I had joy, but I, I knew I was going to be here for four weeks <laughs> and I needed something, you know, I wanted it from the text and we could talk more about that because I had my little aside about the importance of the word yeah. in this message. Yep, yep. And um, so I just wanted it closely linked to the word and then, um, yeah, Philippians was there, four chapters, and so we get into that, and so, um, what, any, yeah. you want to go ahead? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll host, no, I'm just yeah, kidding, yeah, I'm, yeah, just right, kidding. Right. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so you took chapter one and basically took the, it's, I don't know, it's maybe like 27 verses or something like that, and you just cut it into three different quarters, a third, a third, a third. And the first one was about um, how you have joy appreciating your um, the people that are for you uh, and thinking about them more than you're thinking about your enemies. That's the very first point that popped out of the text to you. I think Paul says something about appreciating those who partook in the gospel ministry with yeah, him. Yeah. And then you you went to went on to thank us and uh, Chica and I, there was another group of folks, uh, group leaders, group leaders, yeah. and so. Um, that's you, I think, trying to get into, man, this is one, that's very, a very quick application point too in your very first point of 
be more aware of those who partake in the gospel ministry than your haters and your enemies. And so talk to that. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, I think the setup of understanding that Paul's in prison, yeah. mm. of that Paul has been whipped, beaten, shipwrecked, hungry, you know, I, I mean, I, that did a work on my heart because you get into this woe is me. Yeah. You know, I, I did the, I shared it with you guys. I did this blog post of, of over the last 10 months, 10 things. And so I had my 10 things, but if you put 10 things, my 10 things up against Paul's things, Crazy. it just, there, there's such a contrast to it. And so number one, there was just like, okay, I need to, I need to buck up here. I, I need to dig in. Okay. There has been men and women who have gone before me who have faced way harder things than I have, mm-hmm. you know. And so knowing that Paul has, has faced this kind of life, yet he's able to write an epistle of joy, how? And I just think in the first chapter, we just see some practices. We just see some things that he speaks to. And so here's where you make a decision. I'm not going to get into everything. You can't. No. I'm not going to get into everything. But I'm going to get into the things that I believe point to where he had joy, because in looking where he had joy, maybe we could have joy too. And he literally starts the book that way. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, verse 3, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Yeah, and I, and I think as I thought about what he was doing there, right? It's it's not just like preaching the text because it's like, this is what it means. Or as I thought about what he was doing there, and I think about whether or not I'm doing that, sure, you, you get some insight. Well, maybe if I did this, and you guys know he starts off most of his letters this way, yep. thanking, praying for them. There's thanksgiving and prayer. And I just wonder how much time over the last several weeks, as opposed to thinking about how bad it is in the world, how mm-hmm. much I don't have and how much I need, or my enemies or people who, you know, are, are difficult in the church, have left the church, to think about, man, to think about the pastors and wives, to think about the group leaders, uh, Chica, you know, because, you know, we wanted to bless her as she was late, just to think about, you know, we had dinner with David and Karen last night, like, I, I just have some great people in my life, and I don't think this is just unique to me. All of us have great people in our life, partners in ministry, and something tells me we would have joy again if we we spent some time thinking about that. So that was that was the first point. Awesome. Point number two, because I don't remember it, talk to it. <laughs> yeah. So point number two was you know, was about the advancement of the gospel. Yep. yep. You know, was about preaching the gospel. And, and he had just said, and this is where, you know, there's no gymnastics with the text at all. I mean, he just says, and this brought me joy. And because of this, I rejoice, you know. Uh, and then I think in verse 18, it says, again, I, I rejoice. I rejoice because of this. And so this now was like, man, am I rejoicing about the advancement of the gospel these days? Are we rejoicing about the advancements of the gospel? And then this is where you just work in current events and you, I think we're rejoicing if someone's understanding anti-racism and what it means and how important it is. Now, is that a good thing to rejoice about? Absolutely. But it is, is it the thing to rejoice about? I don't think so. And that's where we made the point. And, and 
Uh, it, it seemed like this resonated with some folks that pro-gospel precedes anti-racism. Like, and we just had, I just felt very compelled to remind myself and to remind our church, the message of the local church is the gospel. The message of the local church is not pro-life. The message of the local church isn't anti-racism. The message of the local church isn't church planting. The message of the local church isn't whatever fruit of the gospel that we are focusing on at the moment. The message of the church is the good news that Christ came to save sinners. And he lived and he died and he rose again. And man, I, in my study and I was preaching, I just, that brought me joy. That that's our hope, that's our life, that's our joy. It's not in the issues being solved as a result of Christians having the gospel. That's not where, you know, the the joy is in the gospel being advanced. And not that we can't have joy, obviously, as, as people understand that they're racist and need to change and all these things. But, man, I just felt that in my spirit as I preached that, is just reminding that the priority matters, well, because one gives the possibility for the actual reality to take place when in all these fruitful areas so that people aren't becoming anti-racist because it's the uh, thing to do now these days, but because if someone really has their eyes open to the gospel and their heart is actually changed, they have the capacity and ability. Remember, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and there's only one message that can change that reality in someone's heart. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and that's the gospel. And so you're not necessarily, you're not saying that once again, that we're not pursuing those things. You're just saying the, the, the weight once again, falls back onto the gospel as, as the means to even that priority. being accomplished. Yep. But also it's not like in terms of joy, I was thinking this, like you just can't rely on the causes to be the source of your joy because anti-racist work is going to continue to happen for so long. The gospel is a finished work. All the causes of the gospel are a continuous work that yeah. won't stop until Jesus. So if you're going to put your joy in the causes of the gospel, they're great. You need to put your effort there. But they're gonna, you're never going to find joy because there's always more work to do. There's always more injustice, more... But the God, you put your joy in the gospel, it is like it's done, and, yeah. and there's joy to be found, and it's, it's secure in that moment. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, so many people, you know, when it came to this cultural moment, jumped out so early to say, we're just supposed to be preaching the gospel. That's the, you know, I think the timing of saying that with the strength that I said it five weeks into this thing because it's not that I'm not willing to wade into that, and it's not, but, but okay, recognizing that we've waded into this and we're all about it, we do have to make sure the posture of our hearts is the gospel is the message of the local church. You know, I know there's some people in our church who are probably wondering, so what, is this just going to become our agenda now? You know, we come out week one, you know, we're going to be unashamedly anti-racist. You know, I even had the statement, if you're, if you're uh, not anti-racist, you're anti-Jesus. So we came out really hard with anti-racism, I believe, as we should have. Yeah. But the other side of the coin is the clear statement that pro-gospel precedes anti-racism. And so I, I think it's like grace and truth. Mm. Like we need the full measure of both. We need the full measure of both because if pro-gospel does precede anti-racism, 
then then we're going to be serious about being anti-racist if we have the gospel working in us. And so they're going to go both hard. And I think, you know, to my movement church family in particular, we just have to be okay with the tension. So here's the thing. I believe early on when I'm saying anti-racism, anti-racism, the people who are are all about the gospel, gospel, gospel are uncomfortable with that. And probably the people who were on board when I was saying anti-racism, anti-racism were a little bit uncomfortable yesterday when I said the gospel precedes it because they're like, well, I hope it doesn't. And I just think we need to be okay with managing that tension and being in that middle there. Um, but understanding there is a priority yep. that the eternal fruit of, of anti-racism that we want to see has to come from the eternal root of mm-hmm. the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so good. But that's, you know, when you come to preaching, and it's how can you take, because Paul's not talking about anti-racism there, right? Sure. He's just talking about his joy in the advancement of the gospel. But I think it's important that we tie these things to the things that are going on. I mean, I don't think that was, um, yeah, an improper way to preach because I, brought, I, I thought it was, man, like, if the gospel, it, it just, man, this is what was bringing him joy. He, it wasn't about the fruit. It wasn't, he wasn't referencing any fruit. It was the fact that the gospel was advancing. So, awesome. And then point three, uh, you talked about the ability to persevere. And uh, so you want to talk to that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, and then, I mean, this was, uh, and this is where God is just beautiful and how he even ministers to me, you know, um, just really being on, holding on a thread of just continuing on in ministry and just, it's so real. Paul himself saying, I struggle with this tension because to go would be nice, to be with Christ would be nice. And, and we're familiar with that verse, you know, uh, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but I wasn't as familiar or I wasn't so hidden in my heart that, but it is better though that I stay for your growth and for the joy of your faith. Mm. I'm going to stay for the joy of your faith. So this actually wasn't about Paul's joy, but he was going to persevere for the joy of those who he would impact and um, so in terms of our joy and recovering our joy, I think we do. We do need to think about who's watching us, who's, you know. Yeah, there's other people on the other side of your perseverance. Yeah. And I know it'd be easier if Jesus just came back, or I know it'd be easier if the Lord just took me, but there are people that God wants to bring some source of encouragement, some source of joy, some source of revelation of himself to them that if I was gone, that's just not the way that he's deemed that it happened in their life. Yeah. And so that was helpful. And it, it lended really well to the gospel close in terms of hmm. enduring. And I don't even think, I mean, I'm, we're familiar with this Hebrews passage, but in terms of like, I press on towards, no, that's not that I press on towards the goal, but I, I, um, I endure, and but the way I endure is I fix my eyes on the Jesus who endured. Like, and it's crazy, last thing I'll say, and we can move on to segment two and, and wrap this up, but um, uh, in terms of the clothes and this song, Behold the Lamb, you know, I, I just had been reminded of this song um, 
there's no doubt I'm trying to be, especially with the fact that we can, you know, play songs off of YouTube and stuff like that and sing along. Like, man, I want to expose our church to gospel music, you know? And um, so Behold the Lamb, and it was interesting, like, I was even thinking, man, this song as a close seems to be a little bit of a stretch. It's not really connected to, to how I'm closing the message. So as I'm closing the message, in the message, when it's saying, fix your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and I'd already chosen Behold the Lamb, like it happened in the message where I was like, ah, no, like... We need to look at the Lamb of God. We need to fix our mm-hmm. eyes on Him. And, you know, um, man, yesterday, more than any other week, I missed meeting in person because I felt like yesterday would have been a moment where I would have wanted to pray for people. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have called people forward to pray for them. It just felt like this is what was required at a time like this, and uh, it just sucked that, you know, um, I felt it more than any other, like, man, I want to minister to people. I want to minister to people who haven't fixed their eyes on the Lord, who are just broken, who are without joy, and just not feeling like I could do that well, you know, through Facebook, but uh, it just, just how the Holy Spirit led me to that song, and then just brought a moment of crystal clear clarity as I'm closing the message to, to why he brought me to that song. Um, and last thing I'll say on this, guys, like the fact I, I was telling the guys in the office who were there helping to record it, two minutes before, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Does anyone want to just get up and, and do this? The fact that God would, you know, bring it all together and... and uh, use it in spite of how I felt and you guys know how that feels like you got you know you could preach and not be feeling it but God uses it anyway it's just amazing and that really mm-hmm. preaching is a work of the Lord yeah. it's a work of the Lord more than anything else it's more than just a good speech with three points I mean it's a work of God and I just I praise him that uh, he saw fit to to work through my brokenness over the last couple of weeks This uh, speaks to, segment two speaks to what did you eat? And so, um, guys, when it comes to uh, yesterday's message about joy, again, um, you could talk about, you know, there's there's also uh, just curious, and I guess typically, I don't know if we do this in segment one, I think we do it in this segment, just talking about anything about the message, the structure of the message itself from just a preaching standpoint, what did you guys notice? What what jumped out? Uh, something to think about as it relates to just the the design of a message, um, and then talking about what you guys got from it, uh, theologically, devotionally. What warmed your heart? Um, go for it. Yeah, I'll speak on the structure part. Uh, you know, going through a book is is hard in itself because there's just so much to cover. You can make it go long, I guess. I knew you weren't going to make it go long so because uh, you got to be out of here soon. But four weeks in Philippians, it's still it's a short book, but in that first chapter you could have preached probably four weeks. There's so much. And so 
I really appreciated. I've never seen this done in Philippians this way because the, t- the temptation is to touch on everything because there's so much important stuff. You don't want to leave things out that you think need to be taught. You did read through, I think, the whole chapter. I think you did the whole chapter. But the points you did, you know, Philippians is, is referenced as a joy book. But the points you did, I don't think I've never seen it where it comes from that end of what is, what's causing him joy. It's like you're coming from a different angle instead of just he talks about joy. And so when I get the joy, we'll just talk about it because and no one makes it. I've heard people make an emphasis about it, but no one has asked what's causing Paul to rejoice in all these. I've never heard of the first instance of partnering and having people like that or the spiritual growth of believers. He even says, I'm continuing for the progress and their joy. So, you know, just that, that connection. So the way you broke it down, I think it's helpful. Um, and it really helps actually orient when you read through the chapter as our to-do of this week. Uh, people have anchors to like look around in the chapter because, you know, pe- people aren't always studying the Bible like like we are. So to have, to have anchors through that is uh, it's really helpful. Yeah, I think the application point of having folks, you know, and you can do that and it can kind of be a lazy add-on at the end of a sermon. Hey, like read what we preached about this week. <laughs> but uh, I really do think it was timely in the very specific point of post the social media, what is the thing that... Yeah. God is teaching you while you read. So really trying to, and you talked about this in the sermon, we alluded to it in the last segment, but prioritizing the word of God and seeing it as our sustenance, our guidance, and um, just making it big for, for us as, as the church, as, as the source in which we communicate with God, God communicates with us. And so um, I think uh, the preaching tip, sometimes it doesn't need to be so fancy. Yeah. The application point doesn't need to be so... We don't got to get the application point of the 30-year-old, the 20-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 40-year-old, you know, this person who works this job, this person who works that job. Like, there's certainly time for that. But I think uh, trying not to boil the ocean and say, sit with Philippians 1 this week and and see what it'll do for your life. I think that was I think that was wise. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from it. Yeah, one more thing on that. I, I think something that helped and... Um, just finding those three P words as handles to move through the message, you know, so there's something about uh, praying that brought Paul joy, something about preaching, something about persevering. I think it just helps for clarity as you're walking through a message that people just know, okay, it's like those are the turns, you know, here we're making a turn there, we're making a turn there, we're making a turn there. It's good. I think we pride ourselves at the movement in our preaching to to give people handles uh, that they know where they're at in any given moment, uh, where they're at in the message, you know. And so I think you did. I think it's just, you know, for I wish business leaders did it more often because I'm in meetings sometimes mm. and I'm like, I wish there was a word that you would have gave me an hour and a half ago so I would know where we're at in you this sequence of, you know, we're on PowerPoint 46. <laughs> And, and there's nothing uh, to, to turn back to. So if you get lost, if you, if you get lost in a moment in that meeting, you, there's, there's nothing, you know, you don't know how to go back. You don't know how to know where you are. That's what I love about our messages, the yeah. way we structure them. And we work harder to make them more simple so that the, they can actually be more impactful. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So that, that good, great point. Sorry, did you have something else on No, that? no, no. I just, I just, I... It, and it helps the listener, but it helps the preacher first. Sure, so it's sure. like, okay, I know Absolutely. what I'm doing. I, I'm saying something here, saying something here, saying something here, you know. and Keeps you from going off the rails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least it helps. Yeah. <laughs> still I mean, an hour and five minutes of sermon last week. There's was it, I thought it was like an hour 15. It was hour five? It, I think it was an hour five. When they, when they 
chopped up, you know, the back and the front. They is an hour five, but all right. So, what did you get personally from this first message around joy? Maybe it's one of the three ideas that most impacted you, or maybe it was something else that just landed on you. Um, what was helpful? I I think uh, the perseverance piece uh, that. Uh, I like a good inspirational speech and I felt like that falls in line just to, um, man, there are people on the other side of my perseverance and, um, and mm. I, I want to, per- and in particular, I thought about my kids. Um, cause when I'm sad and, and I'm down, I think I just want to quit it all, move to Lake Tahoe and buy a house that we can just live in forever and I'll just work alone, you know, but then it's like, no, I think I think me persevering, me doing the unique thing that God has called me to do, my kids need to see that. Uh, they need to grow up a certain way. And then there's other people that I haven't even met yet that are on the other side of my purpose that me persevering for the sake of Christ um, is there. So I, I, I'm motivated. I was motivated when I heard that. Mm. Um, when I look at the three points, it actually just hit me now, but it was a, definitely an implication when I was, was listening, was all these three points— um, Praying for your partners in the gospel, uh, wanting the gospel to advance, and then the uh, the progress of, of the people you're shepherding, and just the, the the joy. Those are all external things. And if I look back throughout this last season, especially in my life in general, the times when I'm low and down and out and hopeless are the times when my eyes are drawn inward. Mm-hmm. And the times when I'm usually joyful and have energy, in the, even in the midst of a hard time, is when my eyes are drawn outward to the mission, to people, to those around, to, you know, to, to Jesus. I mean, you can't really focus on Jesus if you're looking at woe is me all the time, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so such a powerful point in this moment because, you know, I felt that. I've, I've been drained. I've been exhausted, hopeless, discouraged. And, um, and that is always caused. Yes, external circumstances cause it. But then I internalize the external circumstances and I get lost in them. So having an outward focus for joy, for the sake of joy, is um is special. Yeah, the the other piece too I thought about, and we did uh you know we do soaps with the with the Bible study with the with the students, and we did the verse in Revelation seven, I think it is, where it, it basically uh, describes a multi ethnic church praising Jesus mm. at the end time. And when you did point two about how the gospel precedes uh, anti-racism, what I said to our students is that we don't need to run away from the gospel to be anti-racist, but in the gospel, the fact that Jesus died and resurrected is at the right hand of God and his promise is he is coming back soon. And when he comes back, he will have a bride from every tribe and from every nation and from every tongue. So our anti-racist work is towards the end of something that will be fulfilled. Yeah. We don't have to wonder if the work will be finished. Jesus will have a bride, and that bride will be equal before the throne of God, and they will be shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb that was slain. And I just, for me, I connected. So this is kind of like a segment three, but we're not going to do segment three because the first segment was 30 minutes. But for me, that point of the gospel preceding anti-racism connected to that point that the gospel is big enough and wide enough to cover all of the social injustices and says the fact that Jesus resurrected, which is the good news, is that he is coming back again and all those things will be dealt with in totality. So when I work towards it now, I am not working towards a fruitless end. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
It, 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 yeah, the question just becomes what part will our church have yeah. in that thing that God is going to do with us or without us? Yeah. You know, it's like, do we want to add to that number? Do we want to be a part of, of adding to that? Because he will get it done with or without us for sure. But we um, get to, I, and I, my point is we get to take part in what God is doing and renewing yeah. all things. And yeah. so we're taking part in that. That's awesome. And that's why I just think about making disciples, evangelizing, all the things, you know, loving our neighbors. There is this joy in giving yourself up and, and pouring yourself out. There is, there's a refilling of joy where I've been exhausted when doing those things, but there is a supernatural joy in that. And it's not, I mean, it's not fully on, on your point, but but all these things we have to, we have, and it, we can't just give up on ministry and give up on the mission because we're tired and hopeless, but actually leaning into that and being refreshed with the joy of Jesus, uh, yeah, definitely physically exhausted and maybe even emotionally, mentally, but there's a joy there that, that you can't get when you just sit at home and look at yourself for sure. Yeah. If you're not, um, I mean, because when you think about whether as parents you have children who make progress because of how you've parented them, I can only imagine that that brings huge. joy to you, <laughs> you know? And it was, as I look and I could just see what God has done in the people in our church, you know, and feel like I played a part in that, you know? Um, it, it's just the cost of that joy is, you know... Um, We'll just do this really quickly. I mean, the segment three is what did you freeze? I think, you know, to to not to go through Philippians one and not do one six. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will be bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Praise like, the Lord. Praise and praise. It's a praise verse that so many times we say and we're encouraged by. Oh. Um, but to be encouraged by it, Paul says this in the context of thanking God for these people that he believes Jesus will finish the work in. So I just think about this. I think about, man, I said at the end of the message, my heart is so broken. I, I just want you guys to see Jesus. There's nothing I could do about your joy. I just know you need to see Jesus. If I can thank God for the partners, if I can thank God, if I can just thank him, like Paul did, and then on the heels of thanksgiving, he says, and, and I am sure of this, in light of my thankfulness for you, and I am sure that he who began a good work, I think uh, the gratitude also gives you the confidence, because man, if God brought these people my way, hmm. and if he's used them in my life, and we're going down this road together, I can have the confidence that he's going to finish what he started in bringing us together. So, I think the context of this verse, because so many times we just use that verse all by itself. Yep. But the verse is connected to gratitude, and uh, and even and even gratitude uh, corporately for people, not just for the individual person. We usually put that on the individual person, like, "Hey, he'll for finish that work in you." But what Paul is actually saying is that the church will not fail to grow in its completion. Because he's referring to the people that he does ministry with. So yeah. it's collective. It's not just individualistic. And I think it's, a, it's kind of a Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it type of verse. Mm. What's going on in you will be brought to completion. And mm. I mean, and talk about joy again. What if we truly lived with the, the belief that Jesus was the one who was going to complete the work? Would that see? I think we 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 lose joy when we think, "How am I going to do this? 
How am I going to do this? How am I ever going to get this work done in my kids, in my neighborhood, in my job? How am I? How am I? But if we could say, along with Paul, he who began a work uh, will be faithful. So we praise God for, um, man, to preach through Philippians 1 and not hit on verse 6 seems like. uh, I was going to say that earlier, but I wasn't trying to be the guy. That's why the the to do is meditate. Y'all better just meditate on this and get some of that. Hopefully you come across that yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Desiringgod.org. Praise God. We love y'all. See you next week. Peace.